You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 378. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where we help you experience effortless healing awakening and abundance. In today's episode, we talk about some really profound and amazing and special topics, including spiritual awakening, spiritual diets, abandonment, and the key to experiencing more divine at will spiritual connection. So it's going to be really exciting and it's going to be an interactive session. So if you have any questions, make sure that you add them below and stay till the very end. So whether you're on your car or at your home, also remember to hit the subscribe button because it does something to the algorithm of the podcast world so that people who don't normally listen or can't find our podcast are able to do so. Uh, And if you'd like to join our official Facebook group as well, that's something I wanted to share. The place where all the exclusive secret discussions take place, go to my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. That's my7chakras.com forward slash T-R-I-B-E. And with that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Margaret Paul. Dr. Margaret Paul is a best-selling author, relationship expert, and co-creator of the powerful inner bonding self-healing process. She has appeared on numerous radio and television shows, including Oprah. Her book titles include, Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by You? Healing Your Aloneness inner bonding and the recently released diet for divine connection beyond junk foods and junk thoughts to at will spiritual connection and the inner bonding workbook six steps to healing yourself and connecting with your 
divine guidance. So as you can imagine, today's episode is going to be really exciting and really informative, really uplifting, and there are going to be numerous takeaways for you so that you can apply it into your own life. So Margaret, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Are you ready to inspire? I am. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Wonderful. So uh, to begin with, is there an inspirational quote that's on your mind right now that you'd like to share with our listeners, something that you apply on a day-to-day basis? Yes, there is. And it's actually one that's been hanging on my wall for a really long time. So <laughs> I will read it to you. It's by Emmett Fox. And it says, there is no difficulty that enough love will not conquer, no disease that love will not heal. No door that enough love will not open. It makes no difference how deep set the trouble, how hopeless the outlook, how muddled the tangle, how great the mistake. A sufficient realization of love will dissolve it all. If only you could have enough love, you would be the happiest and most powerful being in the world. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing a sufficient realization of love. And I truly believe that love is so powerful, right? And uh, I think the one that you're referring to is not conditional love, but unconditional love, that which we can emanate and radiate from the centers of our hearts. So Action Tribe, no matter where you are in the world right now, and no matter when you are, maybe you're listening to this in 2020, 2022, 2024, uh, use the power of your heart to shine some unconditional gratitude and love and kindness all throughout the world because we can feel it. When you do it, we can feel it. And let's partake in this wonderful global community, this discussion that we're going to start right now. So speaking about love, Margaret, uh, talk to us about your childhood. What was your childhood like and where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles and like so many people who are healers and doing healing work, I had a really tough childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so many of us are wounded healers and have had to do a lot of work. Uh, I was an only child and my mother, both my parents actually were narcissistic. Um, My mother was a screamer and since I was the only kid, I was the one that got projected on. And my father, who I thought was a good father until I reached adolescence, he uh, became sexually abusive. I had to stay away from him. So basically, I had a very, very lonely childhood. Mm-hmm. And I, um, my mother took me to a psychiatrist when I was five because I was such a nervous wreck. And obviously, it was all my fault. Mm-hmm. And, and the psychiatrist told me to tell her to stop yelling at me. And I remember thinking, I'm only five years old. You tell her. And my next thought was, I could do a better job than you. And that's when I decided to do this work. When I was five years old, and it never changed since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing. And I know that you write about your childhood in your book as well. Uh, the first five years, you said that your parents were atheists. So you grew up without religion right. or spiritual training, according to your father. Anyone who believed in God was just using it as a crutch. And you were naturally a spiritual child, but completely suppressed it to fit in with your family. So talk to us about uh, what you shared so far and what I shared, the excerpt from your book. What what sort of impact did it have on your childhood when you're five years old, when you're still, you know, forming aspects of your brain and your mental models of the world? What's happening to you? Yeah, well, you know, when you're you're told... um, that God is a crutch and, and, and you, you know, as a child, I, I had a sense of 
of spirit, you start to doubt yourself. You start to think, you know, I must be crazy because they're the adults. And they were also always telling me that whatever I thought, whatever I knew intuitively, they would say, don't be ridiculous. So it was, it was mm. just a suppression of what I knew and who I was. And um, by the time I was 18, I mean, I, I just wanted off the planet. And, and I went into psychoanalysis for four and a half years, four days a week on the couch. And, um, and then I got married, but it was, it was tumultuous. And I went into all sorts of different forms of therapy and I became a psychotherapist mm -hmm. and, and I practiced traditional psychotherapy for 17 years, but all the therapy that I had done and all the therapy that I was doing, I wasn't happy with any of it. And that's when I started to pray for a process that would work. And that's when I met Dr. Erica Chopit. She's the co-creator of Inner Bonding. We each had half of it. And Spirit came in and helped us put it together. And that's been life-changing for me and the hundreds of thousands of people that I've worked with. <laughs> it's fascinating. Two things that you shared right now is one is uh, you prayed so that you have or attract this practice that you can really use and share with the world around, right? right? So that's one thing. The second thing you said is that you attracted sort of like a spiritual partner, so to speak, mm -hmm. who could co-create this thing with you so that right. you could together share it with the world. And what comes to my mind is the importance of surrendering, right? Like right. Uh, you can try everything that you want and you can learn you can read all the books and you can right. do all the courses. Right. But unless you surrender, it's not going to dawn upon you. The thing that was always meant to be in your life, probably under your nose. And we can't do much alone. We can only do things together, right? And so uh, these are epiphanies that I'm also having in my own life. And so it's interesting that you share this. So I'm curious, I mean, when you were growing up as a child, did you have any mystical or spiritual experiences, things that I, you can't quite uh, explain? Yeah, when I was, I think I was six years old, um, I got into bed one night and um, just as I lay down, mm. I had this experience of um, moving out of my body and going up to the ceiling right. and, and I, could, I could actually touch the ceiling with my spirit body and I could see my body um, on the bed and it was an incredible experience. I mean, it was just the, the most incredible experience I'd had until mm -hmm. that time, so incredibly peaceful. And mm -hmm. then after a while, I came down back into my body and I realized that was the realization where I am not my body, that mm -hmm. me and my body are completely separate. And I, I couldn't tell anybody because, of course, if I told my parents, they probably would have put me in a mental institution. Yeah. So, um, I, I couldn't tell anybody. And actually, I didn't tell anybody until so many years later when right. my aunt, who I was close to, was dying. Mm. And I asked her if she was afraid of death. And she said, no, when she was a child, she had had an out-of-body experience. Right. And so that was really the first time anybody in my family kind of validated and understood what mm. I had been through. It's very, very interesting. I mean, you as a child, you're having an out-of-body experience and you're looking back into your own physical body, and you right. begin to wonder who, if that is me, then who is this? Or if this is me, then who is that? And that's amazing because you're uh, living what 
Vedanta and all these ancient texts talk about is I'm not your, I'm not my body, I'm not my emotions, I'm not my thoughts, I'm the witness observer. So it's fascinating that you had that experience. And it goes to show because I speak to a lot of our listeners around the world, especially in North America, in USA. And a lot of listeners are people who are having these experiences, whether it's an OBE or whether it's a spiritual awakening or whether it's a Kundalini rising. And they have these experiences, but they don't know what to say about it who, or who to talk about it. And you'll be surprised that a lot of my listeners are from the Midwest. Ah, really? <laughs> you know? And so they go on these long drives, which are one and a half hour or two hours long to work. And that's sort of their safe space, where it's just them in the car, listening to this podcast and being who they truly are, away from the judgment and criticism that they might or might not face at home and in their communities. So... Thanks a lot for sharing because in you sharing this, it's empowering a lot of people to truly believe what they have experienced. Um, and so when you were, were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I think you sort of alluded to this, but maybe you could expand that on a bit. Yeah, well, I, I realized, I mean, I, I was the kind of kid who people came to all the time. You know, my friends, uh, not my parents, but other <laughs> people who would come um, for help, my cousins, um, peers, I was just the person that they came to. So it was sort of natural for me. I was a very, mm. very empathic and compassionate child. And um, and I could feel into, I could feel into people, could feel into animals. Um, and in fact, it was confusing for me as a child because I, I remember when I went to kindergarten and I couldn't wait to go to school because I wanted to get away from home. Um, <laughs> but But there I was in kindergarten and... And there was this little girl crying because she was crying for her mom, which of course happens. Um, and other children were making fun of her. But all I could feel was her pain and her fear. And I felt such empathy and compassion for her. And I was so confused that, other, that the kids couldn't feel that. It took me a very long time to understand that other people couldn't feel into um, mm. other living things. Because I could feel into animals. I could feel into anything. Um, and I didn't know that other people, that a lot of other people couldn't do that. And yeah. so it took me a long time to understand that indeed, um, this was a gift that I yeah. had that I could feel so deeply into others. And of course, this has served me very, very well in, in my work with others. So I'm curious. I mean, you said that those kids in the playground were, were not as sensitive to you in terms of what understanding what that girl was going through deep within. Right. So is there a level of desensitizing that's happening in those kids because of their upbringing or the conversations that are taking place in their households? Or is it that they have not developed their, uh, you know, empathic or psychic senses? Because yeah. you would imagine that kids are pure, their essence, they have subtle energy, they have access to all these mystical beings and they, you know, they, they don't, they haven't heard no yet, so to speak. So what's happening with those kids as opposed to what you were going through? Well, I, I believe that people do come in at, at different soul levels. And so there are older souls and there are younger souls and the older souls have developed a level of empathy and compassion that the younger souls um, don't yet have access to. Although I think everybody can develop empathy and compassion, but it's a little harder. And you know, about 15 to 20% of the population have different nervous systems and are highly sensitive. And so they, people who are highly sensitive have an easier time um, feeling into others and having empathy and compassion. And so 
um, not everybody has the same ability, depending mm -hmm. upon, I think, how many lifetimes they've had coming in. Because what I have found is that uh, it takes quite a number of lifetimes before a person develops a deep ability to be empathic and compassionate. And um, But I also think it's about what goes on in the home, because if their parents, well, both my parents were narcissistic, and yet I, I came in with that. They were clueless. They had no empathy and no compassion. And, mm -hmm. and, and I had a lot of problems in my home, but I had it naturally. So, but I think a lot of people who, who grow up in homes um, where, you know, there's a lot of abuse, um, they might put a lid on their feelings because they can't manage the pain. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's so interesting that you ask this because I work with a lot of people with tremendous abuse, horrible abuse, and they are usually very highly sensitive people who have maintained their, mm -hmm. their compassion and, and their empathy. And so I, I just think that it's where we are, mostly where we are in our soul evolution that, mm -hmm. that enables us to have that, that level of empathy and compassion. You know, at, at, yeah. at some point, I realized that my parents were younger than me. They were young souls. Um, right. and, and so as I did my own inner work and, um, and started to really value me, I, I felt like I was their parent instead mm -hmm. of them being the parents because I could see that they just didn't have a capacity to understand and know and feel the things that I did. They, there's just no way for them to do it. Okay. Uh, but what I wanted to share was the, uh, what you spoke about earlier, the concept of the wounded healer mm -hmm. in the sense that a lot of people who are here, they're called onto the physical plane to do the work of healing and of service and of supporting others do end up going through a lot of uh, difficult situations suffering um, right. of multiple kinds. And I think that those experiences happen for a reason, yeah. because unless you go through the darkness yourself, you're not able to relate to somebody else who might be in the darkness themselves and you're right. called to help them. You know, it's, it's easier like the lotus flower to be in the marshes yourself and right. heal somebody because they can sense that you've been there too. So, right. Well, that's right. Yeah. Well, and, and my experience is, is that you can't take somebody where you haven't gone. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I get a lot of people who have come from all sorts of kinds of therapy, you know, after 15, 20 years, spending a lot of money and they're still not uh, feeling healed. They still have anxiety, depression, guilt, shame, anger, aloneness, emptiness, addictions, relationship problems. Um, and then they come to inner bonding and these issues get resolved because they, they really learn um, how to take responsibility for themselves, which is what I had to learn. Um, I mean, growing up in the environment that I did, I had no role modeling, and most people don't. They don't have any role modeling for what it means to love yourself and take responsibility for your feelings. So when you go through all that woundedness um, and you and you really learn to take responsibility for your feelings instead of being a victim and blaming others, um, then yes, you're, you're in a place to help others do the same. And I do think, like, I think my clients can sense that I've mm -hmm. been through all that. You know, there's nothing that surprises me, nothing that upsets me, nothing that, that sickens me that anybody has ever said to me. I mean, I've been doing this work for, you know, 53, 54 years now, a long time. And and I've worked with everything imaginable. 
uh, with people who have just gone through the most horrendous childhoods. Mm -hmm. And I know how to help them because I know what they're feeling. I know what they've been through. And I know how to help them heal that. And the thing that's wonderful is mm -hmm. that there is a place in all of us, in our soul essence, our true self, that never got wounded from okay. every, you know, from whatever went on, never got wounded. It's whole, mm. but it's been buried. And so one of the things that I help people do is reclaim their beautiful, incredible, fantastic soul essence, which is who they really are. Mm. Because as we're growing up and, you know, with, with all this trauma, we, we have to develop, we all develop this ego wounded part of ourselves uh, in order to survive. And then we think that's who we are and that's not who we are. That's what we created, but God created our essence. And when we get to know how amazing we are, that mm. that creates a very, very deep level of healing. That's so interesting that you mentioned that. And for listeners who are listening right now, maybe in terms of visualization, you can imagine you've got a higher self, a wiser self, an eternal and timeless self that isn't uh you know traumatized or hurt or broken right, right. as you might feel like you are now in this physical world right. because i think this hurting is part of the process of growth well, well it is i mean it's very motivating you know people it's who motivating. have easy easy childhoods where you know plenty of money and you know everything they need they're not that motivated many of them mm. are not that motivated although i i i do get clients yeah. who um, who have strived for everything. You know, if I get enough money and I get enough fame and I get married and I have kids and blah, 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 and I get everything and I have my boat and my cars, then I'll be happy. And I get many of these extremely wealthy clients who are miserable mm. because they don't know how to love themselves. They have everything that they thought externally they needed to value and love themselves, but they th that doesn't do it, of course. And uh, and so then they come because they're they're miserable. So that can be motivating when people have everything, but they still don't feel joy in life. Yeah. Then, then they may be motivated. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you mentioned that because we sometimes tend to assume that if somebody has this or that or this or that, they'll be happy. But happiness is an internal condition, right? Is the yeah, yeah. joy. Like sometimes when you visit like an ashram or somewhere far away where somebody's sitting on a mountain or nearby the lake and meditating, when they open their eyes or when you're having a conversation with them, they start laughing. Yeah. And the, it's like the joy is shining forth. Right. The joy that you can never buy. And that's right. Always that, had it. That's right. Well, <laughs> well, see, see, one of the things that I've learned is that joy and love and peace and truth and wisdom, we don't actually generate those. We open to them. They are mm -hmm. what spirit is. And so right. when we are, when our heart is open, when our chakras are open, when we're focused on what's loving, then the, the, the joy and the peace and the love have a place to come into our being and we feel it, but we don't actually create it because yeah. it is spirit. Wonderful. Wonderful. You're just tuning into it. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah. It's just that, you know, you're realizing more and more of the truth. And then the physical sensations in your body, the chemicals that surge are just a response to you realizing this beautiful truth, the joy that's always available to you. So thanks a lot for, for sharing that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and one of the things with so many of these 
super wealthy people is that unfortunately many of them acquire everything through control, through bullying, through having power over other people, using others in some way, which mm. completely cuts them off from their source of love and their source of life. And, yeah. and so there's no way for them to be joyful until they learn to open, to truly open and connect to their their inner uh, source and their higher source, the soul within, the soul all around, um, yeah. and, and, and start to experience that love and joy that's here. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But would you say that it is hard to open up uh, because of the risk of getting hurt, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that is a big issue. And as he, in, in the inner bonding process, there's only two intentions. And one is the intention to have control um, over getting what we want and avoiding pain um, and being safe. Mm. And so as long as that's our intention, we keep our frequency very low and our heart is closed, our chakras are closed. When we move into an intention to learn about loving ourselves first and then being able to share love, because once we love ourselves, we get all filled up with love, we want to share it. Once we consciously choose that intention, the heart opens, the, the whole being opens. And it's not actually hard. It's just that um, most people were, I mean, all of us, basically, the default setting is to control and avoid and protect um, rather than to be open to learning about love. Um, but when people understand that they have, they have this choice, mm. um, it's often not very hard for them to open. But the real key here is that we have to be willing to be hurt. And the problem is, is that most people have never learned how to manage uh, hurt. They don't know how to manage pain because when we were little, we had a lot of pain. Uh, most people had pain. They were, we had loneliness. We had heartbreak. We had helplessness over other people. We might have had mm -hmm. grief. Um, and we learned to avoid those feelings by staying up in our mind and by judging ourselves and others and by turning to various addictions and by making others responsible for us. And so we never learned, we didn't have any role modeling of how to not only learn from our feelings, our feelings like anxiety and depression and guilt and shame, which are the feelings we cause when we abandon ourselves or the core painful feelings of life, like the loneliness. We never learned to manage that. And so we become so afraid of pain because we don't know what to do with it. And obviously in our society, people just, they numb out in so many ways to avoid their pain. But when you practice inner bonding, 
and you learn to develop what we call the loving adult and to connect with your spiritual guidance, you learn that you actually can manage pain. And it's not all that hard. And so there's no reason to avoid it. And once you accept that you can manage your pain and, and that th there's no reason to avoid it, that's when you can open your heart to learning about loving yourself and others. So speaking about spiritual guidance, because you've spoken a bit about that, what is your definition of a divine connection? Well, my experience is, is that, you know, we, we live in a universe of, of love and wisdom and, like I said, peace and joy, and that this is always here. Like the air we breathe, it's here. That energy is here. We live in it. Uh, what's all around us is not empty. Um, mm -hmm. And we can learn to tap into that. And whatever that is for a person is their concept of God or spirit or Jesus or Allah or Buddha or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, or their own older, wiser self or, or a relative who loved them who died. or It doesn't matter what they tune into because the information is there. It's here for all of us. Um, but it's a matter of raising our frequency high enough because spirit exists in a higher frequency, which is why most of us cannot see beings in spirit. Some people can, um, mm -hmm. but most people can't. And so in order to access that information, we have to be able to raise our frequency. And the main thing that raises it is our intention to learn to love ourselves. Wonderful. So you got to be at a certain frequency, preferably a high frequency, in order to be able to tune into these subtle, very faint messages that right. might be trying to come through to us, which would be, you know, totally nullified if we're, you know, in that low vibrational state. And once we do receive that message, how do we know if that decision or that message or that nudge is coming from a place of authentic um, guidance or from our ego selves? We know by how we feel. Our, our feelings are, are a source of inner guidance. They are an infallible source of inner mm -hmm. guidance. So if what we're hearing makes us feel scared or anxious or depressed, th then we know that's from our own ego wounded self. But if, if what we're hearing um, it, uh, makes us feel peaceful inside mm -hmm. and, and perhaps motivated, then we know it's from a source of higher guidance. And, and when I first started doing this, it felt like I was making everything up. You know, it, it, mm. it felt like it was my own voice and I'm making everything up. And how did I know this was real? And yep. one of the things I needed to do is I needed to test it out. And that is what I recommend people do is that if you hear something, um, what I did is that I would hear something and sometimes I would go along with it and do what it said and then see what happened. And other times I wouldn't and then see what happened. And invariably when I didn't, not great things happened. And when I did, things you know flowed well. So um, I learned that that voice, whether I thought it was mine or not, uh, as long as that voice didn't scare me, um, that it was coming from my guidance. And then I started to just really listen to it. And, and, and that's when life really changed for me. Once I stopped being guided by my own ego wounded self, and I surrendered and allowed myself to be guided by my higher guidance, that, that's when everything started to change in my life. Now, you also write in your book that the key to separating the ego from intuition is to be aware that loud voices are generally the ego, whereas mm. divine guidance is generally quite subtle. 
So talk to us a bit about this and maybe tell us how can we strengthen our own intuition so that we're able to tune into these often faint, subtle, slight messages. Yeah. So our, our ego wounded self wants control. I mean, it, it says, you know, I've, I've, I've kept you alive and I've kept you sane. So you got to rely on me because I know what to do, but really it knows nothing. It's completely ignorant. It's like a program, like a broken record. And it just keeps doing the same things over and over that it thinks will keep us safe. But it acts like a voice of, of knowledge. You know, I know the truth here and this is what you have to do. And what you need to realize is that that ego-wounded part of us is always in the past or always in the future. It's never in the present moment because it, it, um, it wants to ruminate about the past or it wants to project into the future and knows nothing about it. But it will say things to you like, well, if you do this, that's going to happen. It doesn't know that. It has no access to a source of truth. So when you hear that loud, demanding, critical, judgmental voice that sounds like it knows what it's talking about, that's your ego-wounded self. And, and what we teach people to do is to explore it and to say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're hammering me with judgments. There must be a good reason. What do you hope to gain by that? And we start looking at our false beliefs that we established when we were very young, that we're operating from, that are very much limiting us, limiting our potential, our expression, who we are, our creativity, our ability to love. And so we, we want to tune into those deeper false beliefs. Mm. And, and that's part, that's a big part of the inner bonding process. Um, and so the voice of spirit that comes from truth and that has a much broader, I mean, after, you know, spirit has a broad perspective mm. of what's happening. And so spirit can, can really keep us safe. Our wounded self has no idea how to keep us safe. But when we're in the present moment and we're listening to that subtle voice, and usually a quiet voice, occasionally I've had a really loud voice when, when it was like um, really important, like, like a number of years ago, I was driving home from teaching a workshop and, mm. and I was on the freeway and I wasn't yeah. driving fast, but the voice said, slow down, like, loud. I thought there was somebody in the back seat of my car. And mm -hmm. I did. And seconds later, a drunk driver careened across the freeway right in front of me, inches in front. If I hadn't slowed down, I probably would have been killed. Um, so in that case, my guidance knew ahead of time. You see, my wounded self could never have known that. But my guidance could see what was happening because it has a broader perspective and told me what to do so that I would be safe. And what I've learned from many, many experiences like that is that my guidance is always here watching out for me, always um, telling me what to do to be safe and to be healthy and, and, and to be loving and to be joyous. So um, people think it's their, it's their ego who keeps them safe, but really that, that part of us knows nothing. It's our guidance. And when we learn to tune into that, um, mm -hmm. boy, that, that's, that's a whole other way of living. I don't do anything at this point, nothing, <laughs> um, without asking, okay, what's loving to me now? What's in my highest good now? What's best for yeah. me now? Asking all day long. Mm. So I love that suggestion that you shared the spirit of inquiry, which is when you get a message, when you get that intuitive hit, then go into some questioning and try to find out right. what belief system am I having that is probably formed in my primitive years that has 
made me receive this message is that coming from a place of love or is that coming from a place of lack and if it's lack usually it's from the ego centric mind and if it's love then it has to be good uh and you've also sort of alluded to the fact that we are not generating this happiness we're not generating this joy we're just tuning into it Right. And so if we are to be able to tune into such beautiful messages, then our machinery has to be tuned up too, right? And you've written that food and spirit are connected. So how are they intertwined? How yeah, is the so, food that we're consuming right. helping us tune into and receive this divine guidance? Yeah, so so this was very interesting in my life because I when I grew up, I was a very sickly child and I really, really hated being sick. So in my early wow. 20s, I started to read. And fortunately, I read a book by Rachel Carson called Silent Spring. And I read a book by Longgood called The Poisons in Your Foods. And I'd been eating junk like everybody else. And I realized, you know, these people know what they're talking about. I mean, I was blown away by Rachel Carson. And so I threw everything out of my kitchen and, and, and that was in Los Angeles. And there was one little tiny health food store there and, and it kept moving. I kept following it around. But from then on, I ate only um, healthy organic food. Um, but um, I kept trying to connect to spirit and I still couldn't until inner bonding came in. Mm -hmm. And so then when I understood about intention, that the intention to learn about loving ourselves was so powerful, I thought, and, and then once I did that, once I opened my heart to learning about loving myself, bam, I just started to have that access. It was amazing. And mm -hmm. so then I thought with my clients, all I have to do is teach them to open their heart to learning about loving themselves, except it, it didn't work for them the way it did for me. And it took me a while to put it all together, but I finally understood that it was about frequency. It was not just about the frequency of my mind, which was my intention, but it was the frequency of my body and the energy of my body. And the fact that I had been eating organic for so many years, once I moved into the intention to learn about loving myself, that raised my frequency high enough so that I could access at will divine guidance. And that was miraculous for me. And so when I work with people now, I, I always inquire about their diet because so many people are just eating, eating junk and they can't connect because they're keeping the frequency of their body too low. And that's why Diet for Divine Connection, where I, I talk about, I mean, I, I don't recommend a diet like people can be vegans or vegetarians or paleo or keto or whatever it is they want. Um, but it, they have to be putting healthy food, you know, clean, healthy food, not not processed, not not factory farm food, not sugar, not not all all the processed carbs and junk foods and fast foods that are around you. Just not, it's going to be. I mean, it's not that you won't ever be able to connect, but boy, it makes it a whole lot harder. Mm -hmm. So, Action Tribe listeners around the world, take a moment to think about the food that you consume on a regular basis, and try to tune into how you think or you feel this food might be influencing your thoughts, your emotions, how you react to, to the to the world and your your outlook, so to speak. And Margaret, you also write, uh, to dive deeper, you write about the gut, brain, and spirit connection. How right. are they all, you know, interrelated? Because I've done some reading that suggests that our actual brain or a very important aspect of our brain that does a lot of processing is in our gut. And of course, we know the power of our heart to 
override certain decisions made by the brain. Um, and so the HeartMath Institute is doing a lot of research in that area. When, and everyone knows how powerful the brain is, especially when both aspects, the left and the right brain, are both integrated. So talk to us about this wonderful connection of the gut, the spirit, and the brain. Yeah. So um, our gut is, they say, 70 80%, 85% of our immune system. So mm. when we're eating the, the processed junk foods and sugar, yeah. what we're doing is that we're feeding the bad opportunistic bacteria in our gut. And, and in order for us to have a strong immune system, which is obviously very important right now with the COVID, um, we, we need um, the, the gut to be in balance, which means that the good bacteria have to be um, in charge. I mean, this is like an alien race inside of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we need them to be you know, in order to be healthy. So the, the beneficial bacteria, they, they thrive on healthy food, but the bad bacteria thrive on sugar and carbs and processed food. So when we eat badly um, and we're, we're promoting the bad bacteria, they put out toxins and those toxins can create holes in our intestine and those toxins then go out into the body and, and are responsible um, mostly for things like heart disease and cancer. They go out into the organs and the bloodstream and everything and, and cause all these, you know, pr all these diseases that are proliferating, diabetes. Um, mm. but, and, and also what they do is um, there, there's, a, there's a connection in the vagus nerve between the gut and the brain. And so that, those to that toxins that are coming from the bad bacteria go up the vagus nerve into the brain and they cause a lot of problems. Uh, the research shows that it can cause um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ADD, ADHD, autism, um, all, all kinds of brain disorders can come from an unhealthy gut. Well, it also keeps our brain from being able to access our spiritual guidance. Because, we, you know, in our brain, we have our pineal gland, which is the receptor for spirit. But when we are eating bad food and creating a toxic brain, we can't raise our frequency high enough mm. in our brain to be able to access spirit. So um, it, it's all tied in. We're mind, body, spirit. We're not separate. And so if you really want to be able to have at-will divine connection, which is just as far as I'm concerned, the only way to live, um, you, you've got to be eating well, you've got to be uh, learning how to create a healthy gut, and you've got to um, learn how to be open to learning about loving yourself and then sharing your love with others. Got it. So there you go, everyone, in your pursuit for spiritual prowess, don't forget to have the right foods. Um, I got to make a trip to the local farmer's market. And to be honest, I haven't been to the local farmer's market, but some of my friends have told that it's wonderful, it's abundant. And so I want to do it. In fact, I want to pluck food straight out of the garden or maybe out of the soil someday and, and wash it and, and have that. Uh, and I'm on my journey myself. I'm not saying I've been there. I'm on this journey myself, which is why I'm doing these podcasts and these interviews to learn from people like Margaret the importance of consuming nice, nutritious, organic food that is genuinely good for our gut, for our vagal nerve, for our brains, for our heart, and for our entire body. So yeah, now, now, now you mentioned you mentioned <laughs> yeah. uh, um, picking food out of the garden and washing it, but you know people yeah. didn't used to wash it. They no. pick it out of the garden and they <laughs> eat it. And and one of the things that people uh, most people don't know is that 
one tablespoon of healthy soil that yeah. hasn't been messed with yeah. has more beneficial probiotics than it than there are people on the planet. Interesting. Yeah. So so when I garden and I have a little garden, I, yeah. I never wear gloves because yeah. it absorbs through your hands and I'll pick it right out of the garden because the dirt has the dirt is actually healthy. And, you know, we've gotten to be too clean. Yeah. You know, oh, you true. have dirty hands. Go, go, you know, go. But Wash, you know, when I was growing up, nobody bothered about whether my hands were yeah. were clean or dirty, and and if they were full of dirt, so that was okay. Nobody worried about it, and that dirt can be very healthy. That's so That's interesting that you mentioned because um, yeah. so there's this person called the certified health nut who I want to have on the show. I've reached out to him, but maybe he'll come on our show pretty soon. But I watched a video where he uh, mixed some water with some dirt, and he literally drank that in. And initially, I thought that was crazy, but because of what you're affirming now, dirt is actually better for your life than you think it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> so great. So take us back to that moment, that time in your life when you noticed, you realized that you had to change your own diet and what you're consuming needed to change. What was that trigger that alerted you to the fact that, you know, something needed to change? Well, I was, I was sick. I mean, I was 22 years old and I was sick and I had no energy and I had been sick as a, as a child and I just was so tired of being sick. Mm -hmm. And um, somebody recommended the, the, um, Rachel Carson's book and, and I, um, I read it and that was it. I mean, that was it for me. I realized this woman knows what she's talking about. She's absolutely right. And you know what? At that time, so many years ago, 58 years ago, um, I, I knew, I knew then that something like COVID was going to happen because she, she kind of inferred like, if we keep doing what we're doing to the planet, everything gets unhealthy and it leaves us vulnerable to so many things. And so, I mean, the, since, since then I've known what we're doing to the planet is so, so wrong, so unhealthy with the, you know, the factory farms cutting down the trees, which, um, we need to stop global warming and um, and then making all the all the processed foods and then uh, devitalizing the soil so it's no longer soil it's dirt and mm -hmm. you know the the research shows there's only 60 years left of plantable soil and mm -hmm. if we don't do something about the soil there's no more food and we die so mm -hmm. they've been depleting the soil and putting carbon into the atmosphere because the factory farms uh, are carbon positive they put the carbon out there, whereas regenerative farms, which are completely different, are carbon negative. They pull the carbon out of the atmosphere, and this is how people farm for years before the factory farms took over. So, um, right. I, I knew that this was we were headed for big, big problems. And my hope is with with COVID and and people's immune systems not functioning well, and so many people dying that they're going to start to connect. I've been writing a lot about this, in fact, start to connect all mm -hmm. of this, that, that, that global warming and, and, and COVID and all the health problems and the food, the whole thing with food, the, the big ag and big food are all connected and cutting mm -hmm. down the trees, the rainforest, it's all connected. And that has to change. It right. has to change for us to survive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Change needs to happen. And it's about time that we change. I think we've been living as a society with the industrial mindset for far too long. And that same mindset has sort of permeated in the education sector, because like one fits all 
It's gone into the work culture because you have these cubicles that are like factories. And of course, it's in our foods because like you've suggested, uh, there's more damage that's being done than good. The food that we eat, the chemicals that are in the food and in all the stuff that we tend to use and they're destroying the rainforest. So what I do wish is not only that we shift this mindset, but also that we start changing the curriculum a bit and we include stuff like uh, right. meditation and intuition and permaculture and visiting the farms and and understand, you know working with the animals and just being more kind. Like you've suggested, I think kindness is going to shift a lot for our collective consciousness, right? Right, and and what these what these factory farms are doing to animals is absolutely oh yeah, horrific. that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 how they treat their workers is absolutely horrific. And what's happening with racism is also tied in because mm-hmm. one of the articles I wrote is why black people are dying more. Well, they're they they're they're living. So many of the poor black people are living in communities where they don't even have access to good food, and the and and the big food industries advertise even to the kids that this that this junk food is healthy for them yeah, yeah, and so yeah. they have more of the underlying illnesses the you know the heart disease and cancer and diabetes well of course they're more vulnerable to dying yeah, yeah. from covid and and so the whole thing is tied in and yeah, it's yeah. also tied in with spirituality because what i know is that when people learn to see who they are in yeah. their own soul, when they really get who they are, it becomes very easy to see who other people are in their soul. And you stop looking at people, um, you know, racially, you stop looking at them externally, and you start to tune into who they are in their soul. And that's mm-hmm. what needs to happen, because every one of us has this amazing soul. And until we can know our own beauty, our mm-hmm. own magnificence, we're not going to see other people. And one of the things that I've realized is that all this stuff with race, that's a projection of self-loathing. That is the underlying issue, is that people grow up hating themselves, judging themselves, rejecting themselves, operating out of their wounded self, and then they can't own that they hate themselves. So they put themselves one up, they put others one down, and then they project their self-loathing out onto other people and think it's okay to attack them or kill them or whatever. And, and I mean, this is so horrific. I can hardly, I can hardly stand it. It just, it it just hurts my heart so badly Mm. that this is happening because I know that people who practice inner bonding learn to see their souls, their whole view of other people change. They don't see you know, they're not relating to people on the outside. They're relating to who they are in their heart and soul. And mm. that's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's way true. It's unfortunate, uh, you know, the way people behave sometimes, especially when they are um, unaware that they are being recorded or watched. And it's true, you know, one, right? One good thing is that... Uh, you have citizen journalists now who, mm-hmm. you know, with their phone are able to capture the truth. Right. And that's right. Um, and so what I feel is, you know, we just need to get people out more in nature and <laughs> do breath work and the healing, because the more that they get in touch with themselves, the more they realize that we're not different. We are together. And I think that's the whole purpose of meditation, right? Is to reduce the fluctuation of the chattering mind and to give them an essence of what is truth, which is that we are all one. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, hopefully we're getting there. I think we are making significant progress, although there are challenges in society that are happening. Uh, there is good too. I mean, I'm, yes, I'm really is. surprised that with me sitting here in my bedroom here in Vancouver, I'm able to connect with people like yourself, right? Such successful authors who've written so many books and people who are around the world. This is a miracle. This would not have been possible maybe 50 years back. And I think if we all do our little part, then we can make a dent ultimately. So thanks a lot for your work. I mean, uh, I th it's, it's made such a big difference in people's lives, not only talking about the mindset part of it, but you're talking about food as well, which is, which is easy to forget in the spiritual community, right? Yeah, let me let me say something about meditation. Um, yeah. See, with anything, it depends on one's intention. Because I've had people come to me who've been meditating for years, but they still judge themselves. They still don't see themselves. Right. They still don't value themselves because their intention in meditating was to bliss out and avoid responsibility for their feelings. So right. when people meditate with an intention to learn to love themselves and connect with themselves, then meditation is amazing. But yeah. too many people meditate with the intention to avoid their feelings. Oh, I'll just meditate and then somehow, my, you know, my, my painful feelings are going to go away. But they don't. And so um, we can use anything. And, and I, I recommend to people... Um, to help their frequency, to meditate, to, to be out in nature, um, to listen to spiritual music, to, to read spiritual books. But if, if their intention is to control and avoid responsibility for their feelings and they're not eating well, all of that is not going to help them learn yeah. how wonderful they are, learn, learn about who they really are. So it, it, it comes down to the intention to love yourself on the physical level with food, on the emotional level with uh, practicing and bonding and really taking responsibility for your feelings, on the spiritual level with learning to surrender. Um, it, it's it's got to be on all levels and intention governs everything that we do. That's a really interesting point that you mentioned because it's true. A lot of people might do meditation with the wrong for the wrong reasons of, right. or for the wrong intentions of wanting to escape the reality that they're experiencing right now. But if you really think about it, whether it's meditation or maybe you're doing magic mushrooms or ayahuasca, right. those experiences actually bring you face to face with what you're trying to escape, right? They, try, they bring you face to face with your fear so that you confront it. And when you confront it, something magical happens because yes, you do experience it, but then in a way you release it also. Yes, if that's your intention. Many years ago, like 30 years ago, before all the plant medicine became um, yeah. uh, so popular, I did about a half a dozen ayahuasca sessions with a shaman. Oh. And I had already been doing inner bonding. And they were very, very powerful for me. I mean, I got face to face with so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And after six sessions, I knew I was done. I had gotten what I needed to get. And that was that. But I did it with a group of people because the shaman had a group. And I noticed that these people kept coming over and over again with no change at all because they did not have the intention to learn about loving themselves. And that is so key. So you can do plant medicine. You can do meditation. You can read books. You can go to workshops. You can be in therapy. But if you don't want responsibility for your feelings, you don't want to really learn to take loving action on your own behalf, Everything else you're doing becomes a spiritual bypass 
ayahuasca becomes a spiritual bypass. So does meditation. And it mm -hmm. doesn't really change anything. So people have to be very, um, very aware of what their intention is when they're going into these experiences. That's very, very true. And um, yeah, I just can't help but bask in the importance <laughs> of what you're sharing is that you got to be, you got to have the right intentions. And I think that's why an experienced shaman will spend some time before the journey itself, preparing yourself, going through rituals and finding your why. Now, I need to preface this by saying that I haven't experienced ayahuasca, or magic mushrooms, although I do want to do it, but I have had conversations, people who have, and I have, you know, read books and I've watched videos about the experience. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, but I do know that whether it's a, a, an ayahuasca journey or maybe a, a vision quest, there's definitely a, a phase of preparation and intention, but also after the experience of, of pulling together all these experiences and then applying it in your own life because that's right. that's the important part right so so thanks for sharing now you write extensively in your book about self-worth mm -hmm. uh, which i think is really important self-worth or lack or, or the lack of it how, how does it affect the quality of our life well it affects everything um if we if we are rejecting ourselves we're abandoning ourselves we 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 have self-loathing um then what happens is that we're in a position of trying to have control over getting love, getting approval, getting other people to value us. Um, when we're in a relationship or relationships, we're, we're trying to manipulate and control people either you know, with, with threats or anger or caretaking, giving ourselves up, being overly nice um, in order to, to, to get uh, um, what we're not giving ourselves, in order to get the attention and get the love and get the approval from other people and we're telling ourselves, if this person doesn't like me, I'm no good. Everybody has mm -hmm. to like me and I have to have control over getting them to like me. And of course, this is an exhausting, this is how I lived before in Urbani, always trying to control getting love and avoiding pain. And it's an exhausting way to live. In fact, I was really sick at that time. And it's one of the reasons I was asking for a new process. Um, and, and so uh, uh, the, only really, the only way to have really loving relationships is when we learn to define our own self-worth. And we can't define it through the eyes of our ego-wounded self because that part of us doesn't know us at all. That part of us decided a long time ago that we were worthless. We, if we didn't get the love we needed from our, our parents, then it was our fault uh, because we weren't good enough. And so that ego part of us says, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And the only way you're good enough is if somebody else approves of you. So it becomes so vitally important that we learn to connect with our higher guidance and learn to see who we are through the eyes of love, not through the eyes of judgment, not through the eyes of fear, which is our wounded self, uh, but through the eyes of love from our higher guidance. And this is very much a part of the inner bonding process is, is helping people to see who they are, who they truly are, their beautiful soul through the eyes of truth, through the eyes of love. And once you get that, like I was saying before, once you get who you are and then you start to treat, it's not just getting it, but then you start to treat yourself 
-hmm. like you would treat a cherished child. Like if you have a child you adore, you don't constantly criticize them. You don't verbally beat them up. You don't ignore them. You don't feed them junk. You, you, you do all you can to support them in their health and well-being. Well, it's like that on the inner level. If you imagine your soul, your feeling self, like an inner child, mm -hmm. and you decide to take responsibility for that, then you start treating yourself as this beautiful, incredible, cherished being. Well, that's what creates self-worth. Self-worth comes from how we treat ourselves. And self-loathing, self-hatred, self-rejection comes from also how we treat ourselves. If we're judging ourselves, you know, rejecting ourselves, making others responsible, we have low self-worth, low self-esteem. But when we're tuning into who we are and treating ourselves with love, then we have high self-worth. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really, really powerful what you shared there. And I'm sure people who are listening to this episode are able to agree as well, because <clears throat> if we try to find ourselves or sense of self-worth in others, we've already lost the battle. That's right. We've already rejected ourselves. We've already rejected ourselves, you know, and, and that discussion or that dialogue, that relationship or that engagement might go up or down. And if it goes up, we're high. We have the feelings of high and oxytocin right. and dopamine and feel, feel great. And when that goes down, we feel broken and lost. That's right. The challenge for that is we're looking for outside for something that's actually within. And the moment we find our self-worth and self-love within, that we do, we we still have those conversations, but we won't be so dependent on them for our self-worth. Well, and and you see that completely that completely affects relationships because I, I deal with relationships all the okay. time. And 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 the main cause of relationship failure is self-abandonment. When, when people are abandoning themselves with staying up in their mind and not being present with their feelings and taking care of them, judging themselves, um, making others responsible or, or tuning out with their various addictions, um, they're abandoning themselves. And once they do that, uh, then they're basically giving, giving to the other person the responsibility of their mm -hmm. worth. And then they have to try and control that person in order to get that person to do it. And we, we attract people at our common level of self-abandonment or our common level of self-love. So if you're abandoning yourself, you're going to attract somebody who's abandoning themselves. And That's so true. Then, then they're going to expect you uh, to give them what they're not giving themselves. You're going to expect them to do it for you. Neither of you can do it for each other because this is an inside job. Yeah. And so the relationship falls apart. And then we blame the other person. Well, they didn't give me what I needed. They didn't meet my needs. They weren't mm -hmm. loving to me. And it's all a projection of how we're abandoning ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when I work with couples, I work with, uh, most of the time I work with people individually as well as together. And I help each of them see how they're abandoning themselves, what they need to do to take care of themselves and love themselves. So when mm -hmm. they come together, they're not needy of the other person. They're, they're coming together to share their love and to have fun and, 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 and to have passion and, and to learn and grow with each other. And that, that relationship is alive and growing and juicy. But when they come self-abandoning, that relationship is very dead and they're, and, and they're coming needy and, and they're each doing that. And, and so the relationship falls apart. I've worked with relationships where people have been together for a very long time. There's no passion. They haven't had sex in forever. 
they're bickering all the time or they're very, very distant. But when they do their own work, when they are really learning to take responsibility for themselves, it's amazing what happens in the relationship. The, the love that they originally had, because they fell in love with each other's essence. No, nobody likes anybody's wounded self. The wounded self is not a lovable part of us, but that's what comes out when we're when we're rejecting ourselves and and we we are trying to get love um but they fell in love with with who they are in their essence um that comes back that that they, you know they start to become the beautiful person the the beautiful people they were when they met each other and they fall in love again and the passion and the joy and the fun and the growth comes back into the relationship even after many years I've seen this over and over in the many years I've been doing this. What a wonderful world it would be if we are in love with somebody who has already done the inner work and has their sense of self-worth. But not only that, they're very kind and they were very appreciative of the world around them. Because I think that is a really attractive quality to have. Somebody right. who is not pretending to be perfect, has a lot of flaws themselves, but owns up to them, but is also kind and supportive. I think that's like the perfect relationship to be in right. where you're two imperfect beings coming together to form a perfect relationship or at least in the pursuit of one. Right, so. and, and and those two people can, can learn and grow and heal within yeah. the relationship. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to be open. And, and this is what I encourage people when they say, well, what do I look for in a relationship? Look for somebody whose primary intention is, is to learn about loving themselves and sharing their love. That's, that's the most important thing. They don't have to be there. You know, there, there's no such thing as perfect, but they have to be willing to do that inner work. And when two people get together wanting to do that, they support each other in that and they learn and grow. Uh, through the relationship. In fact, that's a fantastic way of evolving in your ability to love is to be with somebody and support each other in being able to do that. For someone listening right now, I appreciate you having the patience to be with us in this moment. Just like life, sometimes you have challenges, but you got to be with your challenges, your situation, right. and it will persist. So I appreciate you, Margaret, for... for, for um, helping sort this out. Uh, but, you know, moving on, um, I wanted to spend some time talking about shame because you write about shame in your book. Yes. And you've written that our subconscious tendencies, we sometimes indulge in self-inflicted shame. So so, so what's happening over here? <clears throat> well, it, it's very interesting. It's a little complex. Um, but, you know, for many of us, when we were growing up, we were shamed, we were judged, and we absorbed that those uh, false beliefs into our wounded self. And then what that ego wounded self does is it judges us, which creates shame. Our, the shame comes now from our own self judgments, not from other people. And so when we're judging ourselves, criticizing ourselves, we're creating shame. And one of the reasons that that ego part of us does that is because it would rather be in control of causing our pain like shame than to be at, at the effect of something that's happening, like let's say another person is judging you or mad at you or yelling at you or, or you lose somebody you love or you lose your job and you don't want to feel the deep pain of, of that existential situation. And so what the, what the ego does is it criticizes ourselves and causes shame because 
it would rather feel shame than, than heartbreak. It would rather feel shame than helplessness over other people because um, if it causes shame, then we think that we can do something about it. If it's my fault that I'm getting treated badly or that bad things are happening to me, then I can fix myself and I can do it differently and I can pretend to be this or pretend to be that and then I can have control over how people treat me and feel about me and bad things not happening. So shame is very much uh, today as adults, it's tied in with control. Whereas if we're willing to let go and accept that we don't have control over other people and we don't have control over events and the outcome of things and to really learn to stay in the present moment and be loving to ourselves, it's never loving to ourselves to judge ourselves, blame ourselves, tell ourselves we're not good enough, there's something wrong with us which is what's causing the shame. So shame uh, gets healed as we learn to love ourselves. Got it. And, and could you give an example of a self-inflicted shame that uh, might manifest in our own lives? I think that would help uh, somebody listening to this show uh, identify some subconscious self-inflicted shame in their, in their own life. Yeah, sure. So, so let's say that somebody you care about yells at you. Yeah. Is mad at you. Well, um, if you were really open you would feel the, the sadness, you would feel the heartbreak, and you would feel the helplessness. But um, if your intention is to control, then your wounded self is going to come in there and say, um, well, it's, it's your own fault. You didn't do this. You, you didn't oh. speak up. You, you didn't, you're not good enough. Um, you know, if only you were this, if only you were that, uh, then they wouldn't be treating you this way. And so it's all about if only I were different, then I could have control over that person, which is a big, a major false belief of so many people that we can control how other people act and feel. But that's what our ego wounded self does is it shames us and tells mm -hmm. us it's our fault as a cover up for the reality, which is we don't have control over that person. Yeah, I think that's really insightful because a lot of times when we are in a relationship, uh, things go sour. Things yeah. don't work out. And right. as human beings, uh, and I think this is not just with relationships uh, in the romantic sense, but it's also when there's a breakup and the child is witnessing that breakup, we tend to blame our own selves and feel that we played a, a big role in this result. And although there might be elements to that, there's also this thing that we don't have full control over what somebody else is doing and the triggers that they have and how they react and their worldview on things. So you want yeah, to we, that. <laughs> we have influence. We can influence each other. Our kindness, our caring, our compassion yeah. uh, can influence other people. But yeah. I'm sure we've all had experiences like I've had of being kind and caring. But the other person is just mean, you know, and, yeah. and there's nothing we can do about that. That's, that's their issue. That's their karma, that they're being mean. And it has nothing to do with us. And one of the things we all need to learn to do like I do if somebody is being mean to me is I I just go inside and I say to my uh, little inner child my little soul honey this is this is not about you mm. you know th this is about that person this is not personal this is just who they are something's going on with them that that not good uh, and they're taking it out on us they're projecting onto us their own self-loathing their own self-hatred um and I'm right here for you. I love you and you're wonderful and you never deserve to be treated this way. And, and God's here, spirit's here. We're being held in love and, and this is not about you. And I just let myself feel the heartbreak 
because it always feels bad when mm-hmm. people are being unloving. I mean, it's always going to hurt our heart. It's just, you know, we're, we, like you said, we are one. And mm-hmm. so when somebody is being mean and hurtful, it hurts our heart, but it doesn't have to hurt our feelings. Our feelings get hurt when we take it personally. So I think it's a good time for everyone listening to the show right now, to this podcast, who might have had a bad experience or a negative experience with a relationship and have been so far blaming them, their own selves for that outcome. Uh, you know, just tell yourself, this isn't you. This isn't about you. Right. Other people's behavior. I mean, we're all, yeah. we're all a part of what's going on in a relationship. We each have our 100% responsibility, but other people's unloving behavior towards us is not about us. Right, right. I think that's very liberating. It's very calming. It's very relaxing to just own that and realize the truth that it takes two people to clap. (laughs) Uh, Right. uh, So let's talk about a question that almost everyone has on their mind right now. How do we go about achieving at-will spiritual connections? How do we go and connect with our spirit guides, our ancestors, or somebody else that we're trying to connect with who is beyond the will, so to speak. <laughs> well, of course, I encourage people to learn and practice inner bonding because it is a very definitive six-step process that when, when you follow these steps, you learn how to take responsibility for your feelings. Um, you, you, you learn how to choose your intention to learn about loving yourself. You learn about the false beliefs that are limiting you. Um, you, you, you want to take care of yourself emotionally and physically and spiritually. Um, you, you learn to keep your heart open to learning about loving yourself and others. And that raises your frequency mm. to be able to have that at will divine connection. So it's a learning process. You can't, it doesn't just happen. And this is what the six steps of inner bonding are all about. And when people practice it, they learn it. Um, I, I, I teach a course called Love Yourself. It's a 30-day course. And I'm, I'm almost always shocked about how fast people learn um, th- this process and how to, how to love themselves, how to keep open, and how to have that divine connection. Because in the course, we have a forum and people are sharing with me what they're going through. And so many of them are talking about, oh, my guidance told me this and I did it and it came out well. And my guidance told me that. And wow, I'm so, I, I feel so peaceful. And so it, it doesn't have to take forever. This is a, a 30 day course and people are mm. learning to do this. Wonderful. And in your book, you write, you talk about the importance of asking the right questions. Yeah. So when we are attempting to connect and receive that divine guidance, what kind of questions should we ask or what should we avoid? Any questions um, come to your mind right now? Yeah, well, there's basically two questions. Um, When we're doing inner bonding, we're, we're, we're discovering false beliefs. And so one question we ask our guidance is what's the truth? Like if you're telling yourself that you're not good enough, you go to your guidance and say, what's the truth? And you start to access that from your higher guidance. And the other major question, like I said, I ask all day is what's loving to me? What's in my highest good right now? And I ask it about everything, about how I spend my time, about what I put in my body, about everything. What's loving to me is one of the most important questions that we can build in to our way of being and learn to be asking throughout the day. Because, uh, you know, like I said, most of us had no role modeling. We don't know. And lots of times people say to me, well, I can't be loving. I don't know how. Well, of course you don't know how. 
how, how could you know how? You know, nobody showed you how. But but the good thing is, is that your your higher self knows how, your higher guidance knows how. And so you have to be willing to ask what's loving to me right now in this particular situation. And what I found over the many years, I've, I've been doing this for 36 years now, the inner bonding process, which I do it all the time, um, is that new situations come into my life, new challenges where I don't have any idea how to love myself. But fortunately, I get to say, what's loving to me in this situation? And I get the answer, and I do it. What's loving to me in this situation? And I think the theme for today's episode is don't be afraid to ask. But if you are asking, then make sure you're asking the right questions that are empowering you, not the wrong questions that are bringing you down. So thanks a lot for sharing, Margaret. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's session so far. We're learning that there's so much that is happening beyond the will. Uh, there are those that want to guide us and provide us clues along our journey, but we have to have our antennas turned on to notice these subtle signs, and they are subtle. And the key to doing that is to take control of your diet, your emotions, your body, and your internal dialogue. And the most important is to note the signs, the messages, the numbers, the synchronicities that you are experiencing. Because if you're seeing the same pattern again and again, then there's usually a deeper meaning behind those occurrences. So take note, ask the right questions, get excited. Because as Leonardo da Vinci, the famous artist, genius, once put, learn how to see, realize that everything connects to everything else. Right. And uh, with that being said, it's the last round for today. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So, Margaret, in just one sentence, what is the best piece of advice that you have received? Learn to love yourself. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the most important thing we can do. Learn to love ourselves, and which will enable us to connect. And, and see, I, I teach people to create an inner family between yeah. our higher guidance, our loving adult, which is the one who takes action and our inner child. That loving family is absolutely essential for joy on the planet. Beautiful. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone living or dead, who would it be? Probably who, who you mentioned. I adore Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, I would love to spend time with him. He, I mean, he, he was just an amazing being. And what is that one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before you sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Every morning. I go out for a half an hour walk up and down hills in nature and I do my inner bonding work. I start my day with my inner bonding work and then I stay tuned into my feelings the rest of the day so I know the moment I need to attend to anything. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners today, what would it be? You know, I, I read a book recently that is a very, very impactful. It's called Food Fix. So um, I'd like to recommend Food Fix by Mark Hyman. Perfect. So Action Tribe, would you like to receive this book for free? That's right. Many of you know, in fact, all of you know, audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can check out these amazing new books that are often read out by the authors themselves. And so if uh, listening is your thing, then make sure you check out uh, Audible and download Food Fix by Dr. Mark Hyman, which is available on Audible. Mm -hmm. uh, just go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book and start listening to your free credit. What are you waiting for? It's free. <laughs> you don't pay anything. And if you want to continue, obviously, go on and get all these amazing audiobooks that they have on. So 
Margaret, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and talking to us about your story and all these different topics that we explored. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how can we find you online and get your book? Well, I'm, I'm so grateful for inner bonding that spirit brought this. I'm grateful for where I live on, on a ranch and being in nature. I have so much to be grateful for and for the great food that I have access to. And people can learn about inner bonding at innerbonding.com. We have a free seven-day course that will give you um, the, the tools of, of inner bonding. We have thousands of articles on the site. We have a place called Free Help. Plus, we have many, many courses. Um, I work with people individually on phone and Skype and Zoom, and I have many trained facilitators uh, who can be of help to you, and I do now online uh, intensives. And so there's so many ways of learning this process. So innerbonding.com, and everything is available there, right, including the seven-day free course? Right. Wonderful. We'll have the link up in the show notes, but Axe if you've not heard already, innerbonding.com. And Margaret, are you on Instagram as well? I'm on Instagram. I haven't learned it too much, but yeah, I am on Instagram and on YouTube and on Facebook and on Twitter and all of it. Yeah. Wonderful. So Action Drive, if you're on Instagram, and I know that many of you are, just take a screenshot on your phone um, and then tag us. My Instagram is at my7chakras. And you can just search and search for uh, for Margaret Paul and, and search her Instagram and get her handle, but tag us both. Uh, and then we can share your story with our community and it's going to be a fun connection, but take a screenshot and tag us. Um, uh, um, and that's all I have to say, <laughs> but if you'd like to connect with me personally, then my address is aj at my seven chakras.com. That's aj at my seven chakras.com and come to our Facebook group. It's my seven chakras.com forward slash tribe. Uh, my seven chakras.com forward slash tribe. It's a safe closed group and we're going to have a lot of fun in there. But Margaret, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, talking to us about divine connections, the importance of raising your self-worth, the importance of focusing on love and having the right intentions before going into any spiritual practice and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my, S-E-V-E-N, chakras.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.